You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Good morning and welcome yet again to Grace Community Church. Uh, my name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace, but I will not be teaching today because we have guests who are visiting from Italy who are our missionaries Joe and Stefania Hudziker, these guys are family as much as they are visiting missionaries. Uh, last week in Philippians 1, we see that Paul considers part of his sanctification, part of his growth in Christ to be dependent on the Philippians. And this is certainly the case with these guys. If you guys would be seated, we're just going to have a brief interview. Then the children will be dismissed uh, and then Joe will be bringing the word for us. So, Joe and Stefania, every time you come to the States, disaster in Italy, right? Is that right? <laughs> so, just war this time. Um, you guys have had two really difficult years. Italy was hit terribly hard uh, by COVID. Now, this year, tell us a little bit about... Um, it feels like Italy's a long way from Ukraine, but it's not necessarily, and how will this impact ministry this year. Yeah, first of all, good morning or buongiorno, as we say in Italy. It's nice to be back in family and uh, fellowship together. And yes, Ukraine is not that far. Uh, I think I made a slide. It's about 650 miles from camp. That's the closest uh, border of Ukraine, so it's not that far off. But I let my wife talk about because I will talk a lot afterwards. So Yeah, that's about, just for context, maybe Orlando from here, something like that. Mm-hmm. It's not far. Well, actually, we really don't know, don't know yet how will this war impact camp ministry. Uh, you know, our desire is to re- uh, open the camp on full capacity, finally, after two years and we are aware of the need, of the great need that young people, kids, and family have to get together to hear the gospel. So we are working to open the camp on full capacity already in, for spring activities. Actually, we had winter camps um, in December. And uh, actually, we really realized more and more how much this generation, after two years of isolation, really needs to get back, back together. We were also concerned about signs of depression and uh, really also many difficult challenges uh, among young people. So we are very motivated to go back and, you know, open the camp on full capacity, bring the gospel. But now, what is going to happen? Uh, Our desire is to be open to the leading of the Lord. So for sure, if, if the crisis escalates, if the refugee number will grow, uh, we have 200 beds, so there is no reason that we cannot host uh, a few families or I don't know what the Lord will do. And just integrate them on our daily life, uh, show the gospel, leave the gospel before them, for sure responding to their physical needs. I mean, the situation is catastrophic. You have seen pictures, and we are the neighbors of these people, and so there is a command to love our neighbors and so we are willing to do what the lord will guide and uh, step by step we'll do we'll see uh, on the other hand we are 
um, bringing, um, I mean, organizing all the activities at camp as uh, it would be normal, but I don't know what is normal anymore nowadays. Yes. So we'll yeah, I think this is normal. <laughs> yes. Now it feels like it. So we've been talking this week about the possibility of doing both, integrating to where you want to just mention something about your thoughts along those lines, Stefania and yeah. Joe together. We already had the opportunity, as the youth had yesterday, to make boxes and send uh, stuff to Ukraine. We loaded a truckload staff of, of camp and send it to uh, actually Romania, where there is a church that is distributing and helping. We are in contact with people that might send us uh, refugees. That's obviously a little bit complicated because it has to be approved by the government and so on. But it might be that uh, we will host a few families. We were already in contact with some <laughs> Afghan people. That was August last year uh, that they wanted to send to us. And we would like to integrate them, as Stefania said, in our daily life. Just share the life and share the world at the same time. And then have a uh, camp as well, if possible. Um, we don't know yet because who knows if it escalates and if it gets worse and maybe people are not able to come to camp because it's too costly. Uh, for example, yesterday we calculated how much a gallon of gas is back in Italy. It's up to $10 already at our place. So uh, that makes it hard to come from far off uh, to camp. And then if crisis goes worse, who knows? So we have to be sensible to God, uh, what he wants us to do and how he wants us to do. So a, a lot of questions. One thing I, I think I want to say in the end, because we need to give you plenty of time to preach, but dollars uh, and euros uh, are going very strong to, to Ukraine. If you guys are unable to uh, operate at full capacity this summer, this is going to create a financial uh, challenge for you, I suppose. And I know you wouldn't mention that, but let me mention <laughs> it because we may be part of the Lord's uh, provision in that way, but anything you want to say about it other than amen. Yeah, we, we were talking and uh, really thinking that we don't, we, we wouldn't like a camp to be a luxury for people because camp I mean I don't know if I now we don't have time but if I ask in Italy how many people in this room uh, were affected by camp ministry in their lives maybe got converted or understood something specifically I would say that uh, from 40 to 60 percent would raise their hands because I don't know why but the Lord after World War II really used ministry camp in Italy to evangelize to strengthen the, the church so we still believe that camp ministry can be so useful for discipleship, for evangelization. And so we want make possible that is affordable for everybody. And, you know, maybe we mentioned many times that uh, Italian families uh, run on low income and uh, now with these uh, raises of expenses. So we are really looking forward to maybe uh, create a fund where we can put money for, to support people that would like to send their kids to camp any nationality, all the people that are on Italian soil can come to Italy. So that's... Too uh, Yeah, too easily. Too easily, sorry. And, and something I want to add is that 
um, we became already an international staff because the Lord sent us an Iraqi guy that got converted from Muslim, from Islam. a Muslim, from Islam. And we have uh, a lady with three kids from Venezuela that is on staff, two from uh, Argentina. Argentina. Um, so I'm re we are really blessed to have an international staff because this is the Lord's kingdom that is coming from all over and we are willing to support in any way we can. So you might could take some from North Carolina. <laughs> oh my, that, right? that would be great. All right, yeah, your time maybe. Okay, the come. Lord may be speaking. <laughs> well, we love you guys and can't wait to hear you share the word, Joe. Uh, Joy is here. I'd like to ask Joy to come up, and we'll ask a couple. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, those were death eyes. <laughs> and uh, Mattia and Aaron will be here in the second service. God bless Thank you. you. We you love you guys. Much. Yeah, as I said before, it's really a great blessing to be back with you, back with family. Uh, it's great to be in a church that is mission-minded, that has on its heart the, the kingdom of heaven and is looking forward to, to advance the gospel. And, or as the Lord said in a simple way, desire, live, pray, Thy kingdom come. Uh, so it's great. We will continue in Philippians. Brad last uh, Sunday started and was underlining that the letter is kind of a thank you note to the uh, Philippians for the partnership that Paul received with them. And it's an encouraging to the church of uh, Philippi to take part in the battle or the conflict for the gospel. And I'm continuing today in the second half of uh, 1 Philippians, or Philippians 1, where Paul encourages uh, the church and talks about the grace of being joyfully engaged in the sufferings that serve to advance the gospel and the kingdom of God. So here we have the dilemma, joyful sufferings. How does it go together? But let us pray before we go ahead. Lord, not to us, not to us, but to you, all the glory. Lord, it's not about me, it's not about us, it's about you. And so, I beg you to continue to talk to our hearts. And at the same time, make people forget what not, was not meant by you that I will say. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Where did Paul get all his joy from? He was in prison and was encouraging the church, rejoice and rejoice again. Or he said, in that I will rejoice. And I will rejoice, continue to rejoice. Just a quick analysis of where we get our joy from. Many of the things we require to be necessary to have a joyful, peaceful life are actually things that the culture around us 
defines as must-have. For example, a cell phone. Well, today you need to have a cell phone, and it brings a lot, not only, but it brings a lot of joy in communicating and seeing things. But what happens when the thing doesn't work, or the line breaks down, or there is no Wi-Fi, or you don't get any internet? And then our level of joy drops a little bit, and we get nervous, and if it lasts for hours, what's going on? We are in anxiety. But think about somebody in Amazon, not the distributor on online, but in the <laughs> jungle of Amazon, one of these few tribes or few people that never ever heard of internet. Does their joy change if internet breaks down? No. So, a lot of things that bring us joy are what people around us or the family we grew up say that is worth of having or must have to have joy. Obviously, there are also uh, some inborn needs that resonate with joy if they are satisfied. Uh, we all live to, in a nice place where you can admire the beauty of creation and where there is good food. Italy, for example. So, uh, we love uh, to have good things. We enjoy rather to live in a place like that than in a traffic jammed city, noisy city, and where there is pollution. Guess what? Because originally we were made to live in a garden. But as I said, we enjoy to have enough rather than suffer shortage. We love and enjoy the incredible, brilliant creativity of artists. We admire beauty. We love harmony and peace. We all enjoy to be healthy, not have to suffer or die. Well, we love Eden. We long for Eden. We are all made for Eden. Actually, I think when the Ecclesiastes uh, said, God has put eternity in man's heart, he was talking about that. Deep down in our hearts, there is the longing for Eden, to be back in the fullness of joy, in the presence of God, and enjoy harmony. And guess what? God made it possible that whoever believes in Jesus will not perish, but have eternal life. That's Eden. Life in full, not only life forever extended, but life in full. Or like uh, David said it in Psalm 16, where he says, You teach me the way of life or what life is all about. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Well, this is the theology of blessing and abundance. I, I would love to elaborate it even more with you, how the Creator God loves to shower, to, to just cover His creation with abundance, with love, with uh, joy, with His goodness. We can see it still in nature how much abundance there is. Uh, 
Jesus also said when he came, I told you these things so that your joy might be full. And again, he says, I came that you might have life and have it in abundance. So that's our God. He wants his creation, his creatures, especially humans, to be in abundance, to enjoy blessings coming from him. But, and that's actually Eden. That's paradise, and that's our destiny, right? But may I talk with you about the theology of sufferings? What about Kiev? What about cancer that is threatening you or somebody of your loved ones? What about our brothers and sisters? that are cruelly shot to death because they confess to believe in this Jesus that said, I will bring life and bring life in abundance. What about their kids and their spouses left behind? What about the suffering of parents that see their children not believing in Jesus? How do we combine the suffering God permits with the desire, with his desire to bless his creation, his creatures with abundance, with goodness and love. How, how do they go together? Well, I believe the Bible has the most realistic view of suffering. And we will ponder a little bit about uh, on that. Sorry for the long introduction, and I'm not done yet, but I promise you I will finish in time for supper. No, <laughs> but Adam and Eve will start all the way back. We all know how evil got into this world, how suffering got into this world. But let me explain it or recall it in our minds, maybe in a little bit different words. Adam and Eve... That's actually human life, because in Hebrew, Adam means human, and Eve means life. So human life was blessed by God. He said, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over every living creature. But then... They were deceived by the ancient snake that encouraged them to take what seemed to be a blessing because it was desirable, it was good-looking, it gave wisdom. So it seemed to be a blessing and instead of receiving and enjoying the blessing that was already spelled on their lives and had to come to pass, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And they took it. And so blessing and abundance were transformed in a curse and in lack. In, instead of being fruitful and multiply, 
fill the earth and dominate over creation, they now experience infertility, death, pain, suffering, and start to dominate over each other, especially men over women. That was not supposed to be. In fact, the next three important families in the story of Genesis, I talk about Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. They all had sterile wives, remember? No fruitful and multiply. They had a hard time, a lot of pain to multiply. Quick lesson, that's actually another, uh, another sermon, but a quick lesson to take uh, along, uh, with us. Blessings you receive, you never take. Blessings you receive, you never take. Especially whenever you take on your own terms what seems to be a blessing to you, especially if it's told, you're told not to, it might easily become a fountain of sorrow and suffering. You might remember that in your own life that it happened. When we take what we think, this is mine, it's easily becomes a suffering. So blessing you, are, uh, you receive, you never take. Soon, one child of Adam and Eve kills the other. Think about it. Instead of being fruitful and multiply, they kill each other. The disease of sin a trillion times worse than COVID, was born. Physical and spiritual suffering began to take its grip on planet Earth. But with the curse came the promise to Eve. One of your offsprings shall bruise or crash the head of the evil. God will restore Eden will kick out the usurper, the unlawful ruler that took authority over the world that was not given to him, that was dominating and still tries to dominate planet Earth. But King Jesus, the King of Kings, will establish a reign of peace and harmony. We will be back to paradise. That's our destiny, right? So the promise is made, and we are only in Genesis 3 to come all the way to Philippians. We have a way to go, but I will make it short. In just a few words, the rest of the Old Testament is the way God deals with that promise and he made and how he tries to realize it. And so we continue to read the story, and we see... How, um, and we wait for the snake crusher to come. And we wait the promise to realize it, to be realized. So God had a different plan. He chose a man, Abraham. It became a family after a long time of waiting. It became a tribe, a clan, a people. And you see emerge men like Joseph. 
Would he be the snake crusher? No, he's not. Then comes Moses, maybe Moses. He messed it up. Aaron, first high priest. No, he couldn't. You come to the judges, let alone judges. Kings, well, kings maybe. David, mess it up as well. Solomon, great king. They were all evil. Nobody of them were ever was able to crush the snake's head, to kick out evil of this world. And so it goes on. Israel is in the promised land. They have it good, but they mess it up. God has to take them to exile. They come back. They should have learned the lesson. Went worse again. Then we have 400 years of total silence from God. And here finally comes Jesus on the scene. The snake crusher. And let's read what Matthew says about him. How he started the battle. How he went against the ruler of the powers of the earth, of the, of the air. We read in, in Matthew where it says, chapter 4, 23, that Jesus went around in all Galilee proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. That's how he faced evil one, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom has come. A new kingdom has come. And pushing back evil. Driving out demons. Healing people. That's the way Jesus went against the evil one. That's how the battle starts against the ancient snake. Proclaiming the gospel and healing. Casting out the evil forces. They had to retreat. And he shows his disciples how to do it, so they can take part in this battle. Then, three and a half, three and a half years later, Jesus won the battle on the cross. He crushed the ancient snake, and he said, it is finished. It is finished. It is done. Paid in full. He absorbed all the evil and paid for it. And we have sung, we are on the march of victory till today. The victory is won. It is done. Then Jesus rose, ascended to heaven, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Sitting down beside a people in authority in old times meant to reign, to have authority with him. So Jesus reigns. Now, since he rose and ascended, Jesus reigns in heaven. And um, I think we have read in uh, Ephesians 2.6, we also are seated in heavenly realms, right? So we too reign. He said, if you pursue with me, you will reign with me. We'll come back to that. So... That's Jesus, how he reigns. Or Jesus invites people now to reign with him. 
his strategy are churches. And Paul, he had a little bit a hard time to, to grab it, but when he got it, he was convinced and start, joined the conflict, joined the battle. That, was all, that is already won, but yet we are in this victory march. And Paul, what does he do? He proclaims the gospel. He drives out the demon. He heals the sick. Uh, he survives an earthquake uh, in prison there in Philippi. And then the church is born in Philippi. And he lost that church. And that's the way the kingdom goes on. And he, stay, he doesn't stay with them, but he goes on proclaiming the gospel. And the church did it as well in the beginning. But then he finished up in prison in Rome, and he hears that his beloved church in Philippi, instead of uh, proclaiming the gospel and fighting the good fight against evil, they were fighting against each other. And they were quarreling about not important things. And it seems like the church, some of the church took part of Oinike, and the other part uh, took part of Syntyche. So they were two parties now in church. And that's why he, why he writes in Philippians 2, verse 3, do, not, do nothing from selfish ambition. Selfish ambition means rivalry, intrigue, dispute, discord. To have this two-party kind of uh, thinking and way of living the church. Well, this doesn't happen to us, right? We don't have square, uh, quarrels and discord. Well, unfortunately, in Italy, they were quarreling about COVID, vax or no vax, presidential election, lots of division, lots of quarreling instead of being united to enhance the gospel, to make the kingdom grow. There was actually a defeat. There was little reason for joy for, for Paul. But yet, he says, I rejoice, and I will rejoice. I will continue to rejoice. So now, we have more or less set the stage. It took a little bit long, but we need the big picture to come now to our text in Philippi. Me too. Sometimes I lose the big picture where we are at in this story from Eden to Eden, where we are at. And please, that's what we have to have in mind. Victory is won. We are now still in a battle, but victory is already done. It's more like a march of victory, and we are enlarging the, the kingdom of, of Christ to bring it to other people. So please... Let us stand and read together the text from Philippians 1, 18 to 30. Uh, the last few things Paul said in, in this chapter is, there are some people, they preach the gospel not of pure motives. But what then, Paul says, only that in every way, whether in pres uh, pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that... I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice also in the future. For I know that, the, that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as, is, as it is 
my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for, for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you. Only let, me, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whatever I come and see you, or I'm absent, in it, I may hear of you, that you are standing in fir firm in one spirit and one mind, because they were divided in two groups, striving side by side, being united for the face of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict or battle that you, have, that you saw I, I had and now hear that I still have. That's the word of God for us, his people. You may be seated. I'm just commenting on the first and the last word, so it won't take long. But yes, in this I will rejoice. And I will, in this I rejoice, and I will rejoice in the future. As I said already, the letter is full of encouragement uh, to rejoice. Even in prison, in suffering, Paul rejoices. But where does his, his joy come from? What for is he rejoicing? That the battle is won? That Christ won, crushed the snake's head already? And that the gospel, the kingdom now, is going forth and is enlarging itself. Paul had the big picture in mind. That's why he, he could say, I rejoice. He can see the plan. He can see the victory. He can see King Jesus exalted, as we sang before, and gaining territory of taking back planet Earth and restoring Eden, paradise. He can see it. He knows where we are at in the whole story of the Bible. The Apostle John had the same big picture when he wrote uh, Revelation. He too was in suffering. He was in exile. And in chapter 5 we read that John, John cried. He wept because he saw no solution. And good enough, there came an elder. 
and said to John, Weep no more. Behold, look up, raise your eyes, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus, he won. He won already. The solution is already there. How and when did he win? How did it happen? You continue to read in chapter 5 of Revelation. You come to verse 9. There's a song. And they sing, For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nations. Talks about us, right? That's outside, also outside of the people of Israel. But what did he do with these people? Verse 10, and you may have made them a kingdom of priests and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Now we are back to the story of reigning on earth. And Paul said, do not cry in self-pity, but keep the big picture. Do not quarrel about petty things, but keep the big picture. Peter, too, had the same vision or the same idea when he said, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. What do, does a royal priesthood do? What Royal means to reign, to have authority. Priests also had this kind of, this type of uh, task. So Paul says to the Philippians, Philippians, rejoice, as I do rejoice in Christ, because you're a priesthood and you shall reign. You shall reign on earth. Stop fighting against each other. Take part in the conflict that is on. Stay together. Now, how do we reign? How do we reign on earth? Not being a boss. Not being authoritarian. Or how our polit uh, polit politicians do it. To reign, Jesus talked about that. You remember when they went to Jerusalem and the, uh, the disciples, they knew we are going to Jerusalem and they thought Jesus will kick out the Romans and will make Israel great again and they will become the nation number one and all the nations will bow down to Israel and it will be number one. And then he said, well, Jesus, we are going to Jerusalem. And Andrew and John said, may we sit to your right and your left? You hear the story? May we command reign with you when you are in power? Be the prime ministers? How did Jesus answer? They even talked about this right after the Lord's the Last Supper, shortly before Jesus was killed. They didn't understand anything. And Jesus answered to them about their request of reigning. Let's go to Mark 10, where he answers 
their questions about reigning. You know that those who are considered rulers of the uh, Gentiles lord it over them, and their great and their great ones exercise authority over them. Authority is a nice word. Exercise abuse. Exercise power over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, or I myself, Jesus, for I came not to be served, but to serve, and to give my life as a ransom for many. That's the way you reign in the kingdom of God. To love, to serve, to die. That's the pattern Jesus had till, till the very end. You remember it said in John, and Jesus loved the apostles, the disciples, and he desired to eat with them. Then he washed their feet, he served them. And shortly after, he died for them. That's the way he went up to Jerusalem, to Golgotha, to reign. That's the conflict Paul is talking about. That's the way, before Jim announced uh, the eldership and the pastors, that's the way your pastors your elders reign among you. They love you. They serve you. They die on their own prior, uh, pri uh, privileges and rights to enhance the kingdom. That's the way the kingdom is advancing. That's the way we, push, we are pushing back evil. That's mission. That's church. That's family. That's the place where you work or where you go to school. To enhance the kingdom you love, you serve, and you die on your own rights and privileges for the good of others. And it doesn't mean it doesn't need superheroes with degrees and big uh, studies to enhance the kingdom, to fight and defeat evil, to push it back. It takes people like you and me that are willing to love, to serve, and to take up my cross every day, to, de to, to die on my rights. Maybe on my comfort to serve others. Isn't that the talking of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus presented his kingdom? He said, Love your enemy, Russia. Serve. Well, whatever 
you want others to do to you, you do it to them because that's the prophet and the law. That's all the, all the story. Serve. And then take up the cross and follow me. Die on yourself. On your kingdom. And start to desire. To pray. To live. Thy kingdom come. You know. If you want to establish an earthly kingdom. You probably use armed forces. To get your kingdom done. That's what they do out there. That's not establishing the kingdom of God. Jesus said, we don't do it this way. We love, we serve, we die. That's the way we take the planet Earth. That's the way my kingdom works. And I won already. You're in a victory march. You don't have to do it. It's already done. But that's the way you enlarge it. That's the way you bring it to all the people. Loving, serving, dying. Well, Jesus said in, in Luke 4, where he talks about, talks about his ministry, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to poor. When you want to be involved in the kingdom of God, you probably will get in touch with poor people. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. You probably will have to do with people kept by their thoughts, their mental illnesses, captive in their own world, their own troubles. And to recover the recovering of sight to the blind, you will have to do with blind people, people that do not see the kingdom of God, that do not understand, they are blinded by the prince of the powers of the earth. And it is hurting to see, it is suffering. And, you, and he said, to set at liberty those who are oppressed or depressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. To reign with Jesus. To expand the gospel and his kingdom means to love, to serve, to die. And while you do this, you proclaim the gospel. It's not social gospel what I talk about. It's both. You do love, you do serve, you die, and you proclaim the gospel while you do it. And it is tough, and it has to do with sufferings. Paul said later on, that's actually in the last verse, let's go to the last verse of the thing we read, where, Jesus, uh, where Paul says, for it has been granted to you, in the Italian versions they translated it, for you have been given the grace that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also 
suffer for his sake. It is granted to you, you have been favored to suffer. Not only to believe, that's easy, that's nice. But there is the grace of suffering. The grace, the, the, the favor of God to take part in the march of victory behind Jesus. Later on, Paul, in chapter 3.10, he says, That I may know him, Jesus, and the power of the resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul says, I want to take part in the suffering, because I know fighting back evil, stop, stopping evil, has to do with suffering. Jesus suffered. I want to take part because I want to be like him. Even in death. How was Jesus in his death? Victorious, glorious, triumphant. If you die for the right cause. And if you die after life spent for the kingdom. That doesn't mean everybody has to be on full-time staff on a mission, but... As we said, we can love, we can serve, we can die in our families, at our workplace, at school, to get the kingdom growing. If you have the big picture, you remember where we are at right now. We are after the victory is won, after the battle is won, and we are in the victory march with Jesus going towards Eden, where he will reestablish paradise. The ancient snake is, is crushed, and Jesus is taking back what is his, planet Earth. We reign with him, but to reign, to advance the gospel, as I said, has to do with the grace of suffering. That's what Paul meant when he said, the grace of being joyfully engaged in the sufferings of the advance of the kingdom of heaven. That's the way Christ will be honored in our body, whether by life or by our death. Dying, taking up my cross every day, or maybe as a martyr. Because it's far better to be with Christ. I know these are hard words, and we are not used to it because we are part of, a little part of the universal church, at least for the last hundred years, maybe, in the Western part of the world, we in Europe too, we live as paradise would be here and we don't want to go to paradise. But if you lived in a different age or if you live in a different country, you might suffer hardship and to die becomes gain. 
And it might come a time where it, it will be for us the same. But we know it's victory. We are similar to Christ in his death. Victorious, triumphant. It's not over. It's getting better. That's the manner of living worthy of the gospel of Christ. And let me finish up with, I don't want everybody is down and sad and we have to suffer. And that's, uh, no, it's not like this. This is the most rewarding, most satisfying life you can ever have on planet Earth. That gives you the most meaning what you are here for. And it accomplishes and realizes the purpose you are made for. To be part of this victorious march behind Christ. Because the victory is done. And we are pushing back evil and conquering the world with the kingdom of God. By loving, serving, and dying. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to have the right perspective, to see beyond the material world, and to see your kingdom already, but not yet completely. To live for your kingdom. We want to love, to serve, to die on our privileges and rights with joy as we go on in this world and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.